called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have with me the first transgender representative in Virginia's uh, legislature and also former reporter where I know her from. Not Danica like that Rome. matters or anything. To Not that, that matters. No, so the, I like that that's the identifier you're going with. Not yeah. like my former employee my, who, and I, good friend. who I molded into <laughs> yeah. that fine public service servant she is now. <laughs> I'll take credit for that. No, I'm not going to take credit for that. You're great at what you do. But this, since the, the, the title of the program is Just Ask the Question, I'm going to just ask you the question. How much kickback, how much pushback do you get, Danica, from from being your trendsetter? And and you're out front in an issue that, you know, many think is long overdue. But in Virginia, for the love of God, which is very conservative, it has to be tough, does it not? That And with that issue being the ever-pressing need to replace cast iron water pipes with ductile iron pipes, you are absolutely <laughs> correct. It is outdated. We are way behind on the system on this. And if our water infrastructure looks like Poulsville's right now, we'd be in a lot better shape. You'd be got, in a lot worse shape. No, no. They they, they, they did. They did. They did. Right. They have the ductile pipes, and they're they, nice and good, and they don't have the breaking problem. That, that just and that's why you so. won. That is where I won. That's right. Because you it. stuck to the issues, which I thought was great. And what was the issue that won it for you, do you think? Well, clearly my hair, Ryan. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it just... It just know. flows. It just flows. It was but traffic, wasn't it? It was always traffic, yes. You guys have a Route 28 in Montgomery County. We have a Route 28 in Prince William County that, you know, still sucks. sucks. But the Route 28 I-66 interchange project to remove four of the traffic lights between I-66 and the park in North River and Centerville is now underway. And you can see the construction happening right now as I speak. And it's going to... Have uh, and those four traffic lights will be removed by uh, end of next year, and overall construction will be done by twenty twenty two. By God, that's service, and that's a good thing. It and is. A meanwhile, good thing. after spending all of twenty seventeen advocating for uh, fixing Route twenty eight, last year the Northern Virginia Transportation Authority allocated one hundred twenty eight million dollars for fixing Route twenty eight, including the widening in Centerville from four lanes to six lanes, which basically means that you have more capacity. Calm down, we got time. I'm working on an administrative solution for removing well, the that, traffic. Well, that's that's a good thing. It is. And that's a Indeed. that's a great thing. So yes, but to get to your other question, um, the employed question is, um, like just I don't get a lot of the issue of being trans is more of a like enrichment itself is more of a curiosity for people, um, and you know that going in, you know very well once you arrive at a place like that that you are different and that you know what it's like to be the only person who's like you in the room and sure everyone we can say we're all snowflakes we're all our own little special people and so we're all different it's like yeah i'm the only trans person in any legislature in the country <laughs> last year anyway but then yeah, that's true you said trendsetter well last year um not only did i in 2017 as a trans woman flip a republican seat in virginia but well um Right after my election, I got a message from a woman named uh, Brianna Satone out in Colorado, and she said, hey, um, before your election, I didn't know that I could do this, but, you know, I really want to run for state legislature, and she was in a Republican seat, 
and in one of the closest races in the country last year, she flipped that seat from red to blue. I'll take credit and for then, all this. And, <laughs> and then in New Hampshire, we had another uh, trans woman flip a seat red to blue in their state legislature, and another trans woman in New Hampshire hold a Democratic seat. So we went from two, two years ago, zero trans people in any state legislature, to one in 2017, to four in 2018, and to the now 2019. And that will put me in the position to be the first... Uh, outseated trans state legislator be re-elected um, come this November 5th. So obviously I got to win first. But, well, yeah, you, know, you do. That, that would help. That would be a happy, nice <laughs> little title to come win with them. Well, I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember the day you came in to interview. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, you came in <laughs> I, to... I told this story in my stump speeches. <laughs> yeah. Well, you want to tell it or you want me to tell it? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll hear your perspective and then, <laughs> okay. I'll, then I'll tell my version. Well, I remember you walked in <laughs> and you were interviewing. <laughs> You'll tell your... And we don't care about tr truth or not. It's a good story. But, <laughs> yeah, right. It's all that story. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me a story. I've got tell the story. Tell me a story. So you walked in, you started to interview, and halfway into it, I said, you're, you're rather nervous. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, it's my first time interviewing as a woman. No, no, no. I said, it's the first time I've interviewed since I transitioned. Yes. And and you said, does that bother me? And and I said, no, I'm already married. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I remember at some point in time, you go, I, I think I found a home. <laughs> so the way that I remember very well is, I, I indeed, I was nervous. And um, you go, you look nervous. Why are you nervous? And I said, well, it's the first time I've you know, had an interview since I transitioned. Um, oh, so you're transgender? Yeah. And then you said the following, why the beep would I give a beep? Can you do the job? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That I did say that. Phrase. And that's when you said, you don't have to go beep yeah. here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> why the fuck would I give a fuck? You, you, that, that's why you said, well, you used a different for a little word on the second part. Why the fuck would I give a shit? That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> the mouth of base yeah, but um yeah so that uh that was a moment where i was like <gasps> i just like i immediately was like yeah this is where i belong at this like you and the, the next question the first question you had asked me before that was you'd say why the blank would you want to work here this job pays for blank yeah but, yeah right? that's true right. so that that was the first the first question and immediately i was like oh the this will be a good fit for me. It's like, what, you mean poverty? Well, no, it's slightly above. But no. <laughs> Only slightly. So the thing is, like, I and I don't know whether this is, like, the artist brain or if it's the millennial brain or whatever it is, but the idea for me of a typical 9-to-5 job for me just, I've tried it. And it I can't do it. I can't do it. Right, but at the same time, I don't want to be pretentious in the way of saying that, like, hey, if you're the person who's going out doing that and providing for your family, you put in your 9 to 5 or 8 to 6 or whatever time you're doing and you're going home each day, that that's somehow a bad thing. It's not. No. I mean, like, and if that's, you know, and especially if you're, following, if you're following your passion and you're able to, you know, to do that, great. It's not a criticism. It's just in my life, like, I wanted to be out. And one of the reasons that I wanted to be a reporter so much was I wanted to travel. And I didn't have the musical chops to do it. So that's why I got into journalism because... I just want to travel. And now, Sounds a lot like me. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And now, as only you could play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only so now though, it's like in politics, I travel through my district a lot and all over the you know state and all over the country. And I mean, just yesterday, I visited fourteen of the eighteen precincts in my district. You know, just um during the primary that we had, you know, just because I wanted to say hi to all the people who put in the thirteen hours working the elections, and you know, and as constituents are coming in to vote, saying hi to them too, never a bad thing. But I just really wanted to say thank you to as many people as I could. You've spent some time 
on the outside looking in as a reporter, but now you're on the inside looking out as a politician. What have you learned? I don't know if I'm on the inside looking out per se. Well, you're an elected I official. I am elected. Yeah, I mean, you're an like, elected official. I get to go into closed store caucus meetings, so that's that's got to be that's definitely a thing. Um, there's so I'm not the person who talks about what happens in caucus meetings because we're not supposed to do that. But other people talked about things to the press about what happens in caucus meetings and especially. Well, they do that in Congress so all the time, don't it's they? All, <laughs> it is already a matter of public record that I have very much challenged. Um, you know, conventional thought behind closed doors, we'll put it that way, and that I definitely came in with, um, you know, I, I would say a lot of altruism and idealism, and I've I've stood up and, you know, I've at one point... Never lose that. Right, and this is the thing, like, one point... That's was, my advice, right, it was for what it's when, worth. When the freshmen were given advice about, like, look, this is a, you know, a bill that needs to pass, but you guys will be attacked for it if you do, because it'll raise taxes in some... Place in South in South Southern Virginia, even though the Republican delegate who's putting it in for his constituents, you know, is you know, right. the bill. And I just stood up. I was like, "Well, I'm I'm supporting this bill because it's what the people of you know that county actually need." And I've said this on a couple occasions, where it's like, I I'm willing to take a tough vote if it helps out people, and I'm working in good faith on the other side, regardless of whether they're going to demonstrate it back to me. The reality here is. I got elected to do a damn job, and that's to you know help people. That's the basis of all public service, constituent service, is help people. And do you think that's something that's been lost today? I, I, that's a leading question, but how do you think politics views that today? I think the the onus is on survival. So, like one of the things you learn about politics, just you know, when you're a reporter covering it, especially, is that. The politician's first instinct is what helps my reelection, right? Like what Absolutely. helps me stay in? And is this a hill to die on? Should I take a tough vote for a constituency that will never support me? And I might take flack from my own base if I do support them, even though it's the right thing to do. It could be politically perilous for me. And if I were to lose an election, then I can't do the other 95% of things that I, you know, that I genuinely believe in or whatever, blah, blah. Whereas I took the idea here, like, yes, of course, picking your battles is, is important. Yes, identifying which hills are hills to die on versus ones that, you know, you don't have to. Um, but at the same time, when it came down to the idea that it's like, oh, well, they're going to attack you for a tax raise or, you know, for tax increase. I was like, I'm a Democrat. They're going to do that anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> they've been doing true. that to Democrats for since the Democratic Party existed. It's just that's, that, that's part of how it goes. And so I said, well, then I... If you're going to hit me on something, at least people should be helped by it. And in Halifax uh, County's case, you know, they were, uh, the Republicans, they would not give one of their own members enough of the votes that he needed to get this bill passed uh, to reallocate like 1% of like their local sales tax so that they could build a new high school in this like, you know, really rural, very, you know, just not wealthy area. And I, you know, came, I went over to that delegate before the vote and I told him, I said, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I got your back on this. I'm going to vote for this bill because, you know, even though I know I'm going to get attacked for it. And he's like, Oh, why would you get attacked for it? It's like, Oh, you know, they're going to hit me for a tax increase. And he goes, why, why would they do that? I was like, Oh, you know what? I really don't give a damn why. Because the thing is your constituents need this new high school. They need this school. It's good so, for the kids. And do you find it harder being a Democrat? We got it passed. Do you find it harder being a Democrat or being transgender? 
in Virginia. Oh, by far, being a freshman member of the minority party is much more difficult than being a trans woman there. Because, like, being a trans woman in Richmond when you're the only one is a lot of people who would be naturally uh, adverse to your existence just don't know how to handle you. So <laughs> That's most, And I know you. Most of, you get a kick out of that. There is... I, I, you, I, come on. I come have on. I have said publicly um, that there is one member who I will not name. I never attack a colleague by name. <laughs> what I will say instead is that one member took me outside of the Capitol to try to save my soul. And uh, <laughs> he was wildly unaware that I did 13 years of Catholic school. So it's just like, it's like, oh, good Lord in heaven. There's, if there, there's two things that you learn in Catholic schools. Number one is the quote from San Francisco Sales, be who you are and be that well. Yeah. And the second quote, or in the second thing that you learn in Catholic schools is conversion therapy doesn't work. Well, and don't forget the third thing. Make confession. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> confess your sin. I used to make them up. Yeah. Because I'm a kid. What did I have to confess? Did you ever do that? And you're like, okay, let's see. I lied seven times. So, oh, I, I wanted some candy. <laughs> uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to Seven think. Hail Marys and a couple of Our Fathers uh -huh. and going out there and bless me, Father, I have sent. Oh, do you remember the Richard Jenny uh, line about uh, confession where or he's just, or it was like, so Richard Jenny does this whole uh, this whole bit, or he did his whole bit, you know, rest in peace, about he's just like, yeah, and so, you know, and I was a Catholic, but yeah, I was, I'm Catholic, but the same way that a cow born in a tree is a, is a bird. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, like, and so he's like, and then, you know, you, on Sunday, it's, you know, during playoff season, you got, like, the priest, and, you know, and he's like, hey, you know, look, and, and so we had Cardinals, we had Saints, uh, the Cardinals are playing the Saints in about half an hour, <laughs> I got money on the game, so I'm out of here. Be, here's you first have a nice day. Um, I had that priest. I, I, Flash. <laughs> I had that priest. I there was a priest when I was a, a altar boy, who was an everybody wanted his his uh, on Sunday. If the Louisville Cardinals were playing, <laughs> you wanted his new mass because you were out by twelve thirty, because that you know the game was starting and he wouldn't want to miss it. And he was an Irish guy. But that would have been Saturday, though, right? No, on Sundays. No. On oh, Sundays? So, so, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah on, so, I'm sorry, football games. Right, right, yeah, right. not basketball. Like, everything's basketball, but football. Sunday right, football right, right. games. Okay. So he would, uh, or was it Sunday basketball? Now I'm getting old. I don't no, remember. Because, see, because um, Saturday, Saturday was college football. football right. No, right. so it'd be Sunday yeah. pro football. Oh, okay. Whatever. Okay. So he wanted to, look, you're ruining my story with facts. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you only talk, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. So it was Sunday. Whatever game you wanted to watch, he was out of there. It started at one thirty-two. He's out. 12.30, you know, 12.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he, I remember one Sunday, it was very notoriously short with his homily. And he said, as you saw in the, today in the, you know, in the Bible, Jesus was a fine land, so were all the saints. Now let's get on with it. And that was it. <laughs> now, you know, from being in, that's notoriously right, short. That's, so I, when I was a kid. And we loved it. We would, uh, so we would go uh, during summers, um, we would go to Coles Point Plantation in like Northern Neck, Virginia. And uh, my mom and my sister and me, we would go to this Catholic church down there. And one of the priests, his nickname was Father Flash, because he's <laughs> in and out 25 minutes. And uh, you got to like Father Flash. Yes, I was a, I was a very big Father Flash. <laughs> <laughs> never talked to the guy, great guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, never we didn't have pedophiles, we had drunks. That was the other thing. I, I mean, you read about all the pedophiles now, and you know what I say? I go, what was wrong with me? You never made, oh, nobody Jesus ever did on me. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Bad joke, right? <laughs> I was saying boo <laughs> 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 
Check, please. Table two. Because <laughs> that's my, that's my brand, uh, Richard Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Check, please. Yeah, Richard Lewis. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, I really seriously wanted to talk about is from politics to journalism. Mm -hmm. It seems like we're in a strange place in this country. We're in a strange place in this country. <sighs> or a what? Estranged place. Estranged place. That's even better. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I mean... Journalism is <clears throat> under fire. Mm -hmm. um, corpor corporation journalism, corporate journalism is part of it. Governments mm -hmm. have tried to kill us. But Gannett got it first. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You cannot dispute the mm -hmm. fact that corporate chain store uh, journalism is destroying uh, mm -hmm. journalism. And, you know, we talk about... Courier Journal. I'll tell you what you yeah. look at. Yeah, Courier Journal became a shopper. Look what happened down in Laredo. When I worked in Laredo, I went back recently to do a piece. When I worked there, there were 100,000 people in that town. There were two daily newspapers, mm -hmm. three radio stations that did news, and three affiliate television stations. Today, radio's gone. And this is just the American, I mean, just right, English right, right. language. They also had uh, Spanish language. But today, there's one television station, one newspaper, and there's 300,000 people. So whole parts of government aren't being covered. And in my county, Prince William County, you know, so that's where I came up as a reporter. When I was a kid, we had our daily newspaper. Uh, we had two daily newspapers in the, in the area. There was Potomac News, and if you were in the city of Manassas, you had the Manassas Trent Messenger. What do you got today? And, uh, and now we have two weekly papers, and it's amazing that we still have two weekly papers. Because you know uh, how well they're paid, right. people there. Uh, when I was there, so be, um, before you picked me up, uh, <laughs> I was I was the uh, the reporting staff. Um, it was my editor and me. I was the only sole full time reporter. Or I was the only full time reporter solely dedicated to the Gainesville and Prince William Times. Uh, and we would have like the sister papers. Like we could get like a story a week out of them. And sometimes like we could share a story if like there was a mutual interest between like Fauquier County and Prince William for a story or whatever. I just love the name of that county. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I can't help it. All the things I can't say. <laughs> That's the difference. You know, one of the, I will tell you this. Well, there one, is one, one of the most difficult parts of transitioning from journalism into politics, like being elected, is that you can't use newsroom humor anymore. And that the way that you talk in a newsroom, I will tell in you this. In a newsroom, you on, can't use will, newsroom humor tell, anymore. I'll tell you on record, the most vulgar, disgusting, nasty places I've ever been have been newsrooms. I have Thank never God for that. ever heard any rhetoric, any uh, word choice ever used in my life that is more foul than in a newsroom. We're Bulgarians. <laughs> We're common Bulgarians. But you know what I say about that. You, you yeah. remember, you, yeah. I ran a newsroom that I do not want you to censor yourself. No one should feel uncomfortable. You should not make others Unless feel you were wrong. If you were factually wrong. Oh, yeah. That then, would make you feel uncomfortable. This is to, to the world at large. Uh, my, my best Brian Karam on this is, you have no idea what you're talking about. Just stop. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Like, no, no. Every, let me tell you how Ronald Reagan dismantled journalism as we know it. All started right? in 1981, it yeah. It started here, and then it was just like, yeah. that, that. That's, that is one of my rants. You got me down. I, cannot, I, I plead guilty to and, that. And what, what, the, what our audience can't see is the little, little 
speck of spit. So just <laughs> oh, well, thanks. That's your bottom lip and it shoots off at wherever it is that you're yelling at at that particular <laughs> moment. It was just like, well, that's a flattery. Right, right, right. <laughs> there was a difference between like I know I'm being critiqued, Brian, which is just red face. Versus the ah effed up critique from Brian, <laughs> which, which usually has that followed by the I need to walk in the hall and then come back. <laughs> yeah. if, if I have made my boss have to physically leave the newsroom, that's when I know you've done your job. <laughs> I have done the opposite of my, my job. job. <laughs> well, that's, you know, how I was brought up. Middle management, news. by the way, Sucks because you, you were middleman. I know. Basically, here's the one thing: I got to talk to you on the one hand, and so I got I got to quell the beast on the one side, and the other side, I don't have the authority to really, really tell the reporters what I really need to or want to. Well, that was <laughs> you had to. It's it's tough being middle management. Yep. Because you got to manage up and down, mm-hmm. and that is the toughest one. And especially. But I yeah, and, and then apply it directly to this job. And yep. the hardest thing to learn about that is <laughs> managing down. And when you have some reporters that you just go, holy crap. <laughs> and you know what I'm so, talking so about. One of the things I learned from you was how to delegate responsibility. Yeah. And uh, I had one, like, I remember when you first started just forwarding me emails and you're like, hey, give this to this reporter to do whatever. I'm just like, whoa. Why would you go through me to give this to the reporter? Why would you just send it to that reporter? You're their boss. And it was just like, no. No, no. no. You're, you're, you're their boss. Right. It's like, you're missing the chain of command here. Yeah. It's just, I talk to the editors. The editor then distributes. I tell you what to do. You make it happen. This is the difference between I conceptualize, you implement. This is how this works. Yeah. And that's something I've directly brought into, like, both in my campaign and in my political office is like, you know, the folks who are in management for me, I'll say, hey, I um, have a field organizer do this uh, for me, please, or have, you know, talk to the field director about this, whatever. Or if it's my policy office, it'll be like, hey, um, I need to, you know, uh, ask my scheduler to, you know, to schedule this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that will then go to my chief of staff. I learned that from working with you. Like, that was, that was a direct, like, Here's how to do that right, and have they you, don't. Have you ever it. said uh, to anyone that works for you, if if I do it, what do I need you for? <laughs> um, I don't know if I've used the phrase, but I'm sure it's been implied. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all. I'll tell could... you, my staff is great. My like my staff, and you and you've met my staff. My yeah, staff is good staff. Very very hardworking, very professional, and they also get my sense of humor. If you don't get my sense of humor, it's just You're, impossible. Uh, just, you know, a lot of people, that's, I find... That's the hard part of politics, because a lot yeah, of people have, like... Just, no you know, sense of humor. Well, they, they literally sit on, well, figuratively sit on giant sticks all day, and it's just Well, like, that's ugh. the reporting world as well. You ever hear Louis Black talk about how, how awful it was to do the White House Correspondence Dinner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. In fact, I interviewed Louis. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. He's from way. here? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I've interviewed him. Actually, I... I interviewed him for the Sentinel, yeah, and uh, and for Playboy, and we we talked about you know the perpetual. Let me take this stick <laughs> and gently remove it from your ass. <laughs> you gotta use the corkscrew like fashion. You get a corkscrew like fashion. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, but that's uh, I find uh, you you tell me because you are really in a unique position and and you've got to know that. But of course, having a sense of humor. I find makes look. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all human beings. What's your intention? What do you? Can you learn from your mistakes? Do you correct your mistakes? Mm-hmm. 
do you move forward? Um, and news is always the first take on history, and it's filled with mistakes. It's yeah. always filled with mistakes. That'll never change. It's not fake news. It's not that we're the enemy of the people. It's that you are a live shot. You're doing a live shot. Here's what you know, and then later you find out more information. And in the modern day, what exacerbates ex mistakes is that reporters and editors alike instantly go to social media when something happens and you know the editors for those reporters who are out in the field they're just telling them like they're not reviewing every tweet that they're sending out they're just saying i trust you do your job go get the facts and like get it out there and the big thing that you learn especially in dc journals like when i was working for the hotlines don't get beat don't yeah, get beat don't, don't get, get beat. beat don't get beat and in social media, it's so instant, 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 instant. My God, they had this up 50 seconds ago. Why were you behind? Yeah, like, I, that they used beat to be you by a minute. Like, that, that used to be laughable for us, but now, no. Now this person has 168,000 retweets, and you're you're, you're you don't dust. have any. And right, it's tweet driven. Oh, it's disgusting. That uh, yeah. is very so disturbing. before um, before and, and we contribute to it, but oh yeah, uh, yeah, and but there, how do you not? I mean. You're involved. You're, right. I mean, Remember, I. It used to be get on Drudge. That used to be the other thing. Like, you know, I, don't, was, I don't say that word. I know. <laughs> I, I, I understand why. Like, I, I actually, I told an editor before who was just like, you know, if you do this right, you'll get on Drudge. And I said, like, if I do it right, then I'm telling a good story to the, you know, to our readers. I don't really care if it goes on Drudge. Right. And he goes, actually, you're right. Um, that's my job to care about that, not yours. That's smart. I'm, when I was coming up, it was getting on the AP wire. Mm hmm. If I got a story on the AP wire, the first time I got a story on the AP wire, and I still remember it, 1984, and I was covering the border, and there was an, like, I don't know, 50 or 60 illegal immigrants. For those of you at home, that's when I was born. <laughs> All right, you're just trying to make me feel old now, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> so, you know, I had, a, there was 50 or 60 illegal immigrants got caught in a U-Haul, and were, a bunch of them had died. And I wrote up the story, and it went on you know, the wire. And I thought, wow, I, I, I've arrived. Now it's instantaneous. It's it, everything is moving at a, a fast pace. Everyone is quick to, you know, a rush to judgment. And civility, I think, is gone. Away. I don't. So another thing is, I don't know that. I, I would challenge the premise of it. I don't know that the civility was necessarily there in the first place, or if it was masked behind malintention. For example, you know, like. Is it civil to just shake someone's hand and then stab them in the back another day? You know what I mean? Like, oh, well. <laughs> you, you know, like, as opposed to just being more oh, you're fun and about, about faux it. civility versus right. real civility. Yeah, yeah right, right, That's right. true. But, and, but also, you know, like, I understand why a lot of people got really upset with, you know, like, Joe Lieberman years ago when he was saying, like, you know, the problem is that senators don't, you know, have enough cocktails with <clears> each other anymore. Or, or, like, you know, they don't hang out afterward and they're not buddy-buddy. And you're like, what? Why would that matter? Well, when you get into a legislature, um, you've you learn so quickly how important relationships are and relationship building. It really is the difference between you passing legislation and not. Oh, absolutely! Um, and yeah. I can absolutely tell you there will be people where if you are fifty-fifty on a bill and you're not sure, but that other person has been, you know, just really having it out for you. It will factor into that idea of like you know is this are you is this legislation being presented for the right reasons that that will factor into that because you're now taking into the intent that you're assuming that person has when you're dealing with thousands of pieces of bills and you're not sure necessarily and there's a lot of dealing that goes right. on. look you you I, you don't like me I don't like you but look you take care of me on this bill here, I'll take care of you on another great example 
We didn't even didn't have uh, we didn't <clears> even have that. But this is what happened. That guy who I told you about, uh, who want, you know, he had the bill for the high school. Yeah. So I told him, hey, you know, like, I, you know, <coughs> I'm, you know, I'm gonna vote for you on this one, blah blah. <clears throat> when I had to really fight like hell on the house floor on crossover, the last day that the house can consider its own bills to get one of my bills out, and I was, you know, just fingers crossed, hoping that you know any of the Republicans were gonna give me a vote. That guy came on board, and. When I met up with him later in um, the Pocahontas bill, I was like, hey, I was glad I could help you out on your bill. He's, I was glad I could help you out on your bill. Yeah, so we just it makes a it. difference. We had never talked about it ahead of time, never made a deal, never made that. It just turned into a very convenient mutual understanding of Do like, doing the right thing for the right reasons. I want to ask the right question, but it's going to come across gruff, but you know me. <laughs> so, <laughs> when has that ever stopped you? It's not going to stop me. You know me. Do you find people, once they get to know you, are a little more accepting of your situation? I don't think that people in general are, like, I guess if you're I mean the, like, the, the legislators who don't like right, who you. Are, who, yeah. are, you know, who would be predisposed to not like you. Yes. I, they are much more so like that because I'm a freshman member in a swing seat. It has a lot less to do with my identity, although my identity is still... You know, like my gender is still very foreign to them as a concept of, for many of them. But look, I mean, in one day last year, I, I drove down to Hampton Roads and had three different meetings with Republican delegates just working on legislation. You know, and and that relationship building it mattered there. Yeah. One of them was one of them was the one the, the one Republican at subcommittee who actually voted for my shield law and then battled for it. That was. I worked, hope you get that. We pass. worked well next year. We worked on that bill together in good faith, and I presented the idea in good faith. And I think the thing that I said on the House floor when I was fighting for that one bill, and you know the House Finance Committee chairman, he was trying to send it back to committee, which is a very polite way to kill a bill. And the majority. No, that's a very was, overt way. Right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and then <clears> send the it back to committee. Was, you want to kill it, right? Yes. And the majority leader was, you know, not keen on the bill either. And I made the case on the House floor saying, look, you all know me at this point. This wasn't my first session. This is my second session. All of you have worked with me, and you know I always work in good faith. You know I keep my word. You know I do exactly what I say I'm going to do, and that I will drive hours to meet with you in your districts. I am asking here that if you have an 11th hour problem with this bill, to kick it over to the Senate. Let's iron it out over there, and in good faith. I'll bring back a compromise or whatever it is that's going to, you know, that we're going to do with this. And the fact of the matter is we have existing precedent on your side of the aisle for last second concerns coming up, us moving our legislation over to the Senate and then fixing it over there anyway. But an agency bill like this, the Department of Social Services needs to prevent child welfare fraud and modify existing child support orders. No, this is not the bill where to play a game, you know? And so when the vote came, you know, it got passed and, Stuff like that, you, you don't have a freshman member of the minority party going toe to toe with the majority leader and the finance committee chairman at the same time on the House floor and prevailing. But that was because, you know, I had worked in good faith with them and they knew that I was good by my word. Now, so do you think yeah. most politicians operate in good faith? I think most politicians that I have seen operate in good faith most of the time. And that's, on occasion, do not. And on occasion, you'll have what's called a line five problem. That's where the patron's <laughs> name is on the bill. Yeah. <laughs> and like that will be. You know, I'm not talking about the Virginia legislature. Th there's a reason why freshmen, you know, will you know don't get you know many bills 
passing their first session. I mean, it's just, especially if they come from swing districts. It's not that, you know, they all, sometimes, you know, as a freshman, you learn, okay, I need to fix this bill, and that's fine. You know, like, I, I, can, I can stand constructive criticism. Other times, like, there's one in particular that will always be always be under my skin, which is the suicide prevention resolution that I had. I was like, for that one to go down on a party line vote in front of the grieving mother who had a picture of her dead son in front of the committee members, that one has never sat well with me. That one's the one that really got me upset. <clears throat> well, what do you want to do for the future? What do you see your future as? Well, I see my future as wanting this to fall. <laughs> <Now> that's, <laughs> I get that, but yeah. that's the immediate. Yeah. What would you like to do? Uh, I would like to be the chair of the uh, uh, of the House County Cities and Towns Number Two Subcommittee, which I think will only take a majority. I would, uh, if the two other uh, Democratic members. Okay, Danica, I'm asking you. I know I'm trying yourself. to be real with you. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm be, being real with yeah. me. What's your goal? That's is to chair that committee to be and to outside. Do you want to go outside of the state of Virginia? Do you see yourself as? I don't want to go to the federal government. That's for damn sure. Why not? I, because I busted my ass to elect Jennifer Wexton last year. I'd knock on doors. Well, you're young. Point. As you reminded Jeez. everyone, you were yeah. born when I had my first job. Biatch. Yes. <laughs> I'm an old it's fart. I get it. That's delegate biatch. <laughs> okay, delegate much, biatch. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, you're welcome. You know I love you. <laughs> check, please, table three. <laughs> but, uh, well, you were at table two. You moved to three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, the conversation drifted. No, like last year, like, I, I worked <laughs> to another table. <laughs> I worked really hard to get you know Jennifer Wexton elected, and I told her to her face that we would carry two thirds of the vote out of Manassas Park. We got sixty-seven percent of the vote out of Manassas Park. We hit two thirds, exactly what we said. And like I spent three and a half years covering DC, you know, in the at the Watergate. I did my time. That's the way I, <laughs> I did my time. I, I, I feel that way every time I walk yeah. into the White House. Right. I feel like I'm doing now, time. Imagine if you've had that opportunity to then step out. <laughs> you've had a career. You can be successful. Would you want to go back to that if you don't have to do it? Oh, that's a good to? question. That's a good question. And so that was one. And, and so like that was, that was pretty immediate. And then statewide, I'm like, well, let's see. We have three other statewide positions, elected positions in Virginia. Like, well, number one, um, I don't have a law degree, so I'm not going to be attorney general. Uh, number two, um, I... And you I, wouldn't want right, to be. <laughs> as you and I have both watched people die in you know, uh, executions, I do not want to ever be in a position where I have to either execute someone or not execute someone and then tell the family that was expecting that to happen that I wasn't going to do it. I don't want that job, and that's what a governor has to do. I don't want to make that life and death decision. I'll, you know, make votes. You could change legislation, legislation, so right. it but that wouldn't happen. But that legis no. The, what you're talking about then is banning it entirely. That's a separate yeah. issue, right? But that's not something that you're going to do as governor unless you chose that you were just going to commute, you know, sentences. I'm not. I don't want to be in that position to deal with that death penalty question in terms of actually carrying out an execution. The biggest yeah, death that's... penalty issue that I have is in Virginia. A couple of years ago, they uh, passed a law to conceal the identity from FOIA request of mm. the manufacturers that make the cocktail <clears throat> for lethal injection. Now, as an open government advocate, that I, I would love to repeal I'm, I'm, as soon as possible because I'm like, excuse me. Well, if people know, then they're not going to be able to do it. Like, well, then tough. Tough. And then, yeah. and then the part that I have on that is like, look, I've seen the electric chair. It does what it's designed to do. Okay, like, it's a it's, vicious way to die. It is the way I phrased it is it is eight minutes and fifty eight seconds of stillness and two seconds at one second intervals 
age of unbridled violence. It sounds like a car crash. Yeah. Like when the the when the body of it is the back of the chair that hard, it just goes pow. It it's, none of it is pretty. No, none of it. No, it's, no. And I it, I would I always encourage people who advocate for the death penalty to actually witness. Well, I've done it, and you and know, it's a t- and still there will pe- be people oh, yeah. who will advocate for it. Yeah, kill them. That's and that's that's a, I, turning off a perfectly perfectly good human is a tough thing. What what? Um, that's a tough thing. You know, so in the, in the case that I had, so in 2010, the guy he was not just like you know, not just had done horrible things, which he had done, but he bragged about it. He was writing letters to the Commonwealth's attorney, taunting him over it. You, I mean, just. The whole long thing. The guy earned himself a Darwin Award because <laughs> he had um, he had like um, because there was a problem with the prosecution or whatever. He was given a life sentence instead of death penalty the first time. So then he writes a letter saying, "Ha ha, because of double jeopardy, you can't retry me." So now I'm going to tell you all the things that really happened. And it's just like, oh, you you admitted to murder and rape as opposed to just murder. Guess what? That's a different part of the code. Yeah, we, and we can charge you on that one. Yeah, and so he uh, improved the gene pool by successfully removing himself from it. <laughs> Hence the Darwin Award. And so, well, yeah, I got it. Right, right. But, <laughs> I'm with you there. I, I no, That wasn't for you. That was for the mic. But, <laughs> but anyway, sure, sure. Right. So anyway, so check please. So <laughs> table four. Table four. <laughs> so um, we got I, the first two tables. I got the next two. All over execution. <laughs> but um, so so what happened though is like I got there and I'm seeing in front of me someone who is the prototype for why the death penalty exists. And you see it and you're like, there's no ambiguity. There's no, did he do it? Didn't he? Yes, he did it. He definitely yeah. did. And the horror mm. in which he carried out that slaying, in which he killed a I agree with girl you. That, who's now buried in my family cemetery. It's just like, and what he did to her sister, she still has a, a scar going across her neck from when he left her for dead. I mean, like, this That's was... brutal. Right, brutal. Right, and so you look at him and you go, okay, this is why the Battalion exists. But then, look at the case from some decades past, especially, of the little black boy from, from South Carolina. You don't have to go decades was, in the I past. Know, but that one in particular is one of the most egregious episodes in the history of the country for an execution. Do you think that we're... Was so everything was wrong with it. Yeah. Every, this is a boy who happened to have seen the girl before she died. No evidence, I, I, nothing. I, I know the and case. they fried him. <clears throat> yeah. And he was this little So do boy. you think that we're, we're a... <laughs> yeah. you think we're a Christian nation? Well, I don't think... I think that, you know, because the you know United States is based on... Is based on the operation of you know separation of church and state and the idea that we are a nation of laws as opposed to you know theocracy, that we are a multifaceted you know country. We are. A Do you country. think Christians are actually very Christian? That depends who you talk to, because I can tell you some are and some are. I'll tell you, Casey Downer over in Haymarket, she walks the walk quite literally, walks into the woods as she's one of the most religious, deeply Christian people I will have ever known and will ever know. And she will go into the woods in order to find people who are experiencing homelessness and bring them out and just to find them shelter. And then she will furbish whatever shelter that they have. She has dedicated her life to helping people. That is living the Christian example better than anything I could ever, ever see. Do you have hope for the future? Why wouldn't I? I'm 34. I have to. 
Because if I don't, hey, I'm 58. I have to. I yeah. Think. Well, if I don't, now we just gave away our ages. Check, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, think think about that though. You don't run for for office because you're a pessimist. You don't run for office because you're a nihilist. You have to have that sense of altruism. You have to have that sense that things can get better. You have to also, by the way, believe that government can actually help. And that the institution I would, I would of government can be a good thing. I have seen people who run... This is how it should be. Oh, how it should be and right. how it is are two it different needs things. It to be that. It so needs how do you to. fix that? I, because, I look, I you agree will, with you. You win elections. That's how you fix that. How about... Yeah, you do win elections. But yeah. how about... Here's, here's the two big things that I always... People who complain about the government, I ask them, did they vote? Mm-hmm. When they say no, then I don't listen to them and I tell them to grow up and vote. And I think voting is the minimal that you should do. You should be involved and vote. And then we got to get rid of gerrymandering districts. Well, that's, you know, we had a... And if you fix those yeah. things, education takes care of it. There are a lot of people, you tell me how you, because I, you know me, I get out and I talk to as many people as I can all the time. And a lot of people don't even know what's in our Constitution. And I bet you they don't even know what's in the state Constitution of Virginia. Well, of course. Well, Brian, most people, you know, like, like yesterday in the Democratic primary and, you know, there was some Republican primaries as well. When you're dealing with single-digit voter turnout, this means that, you know, more than 90% of people are not coming out to vote because either they're not inspired or they're not interested or they just didn't know. Right, it's one of those three things in general. It's all of the, it's a combination right. of all those and things. And so, which means that there is. An I got to get to soccer right. practice. My kids are busy. There's, I got to get to school. I got to go to work. There, I, I can't a, afford it. Here's I, the yeah. thing, though: if you want to vote, you nothing will be stop a, you. Right, no, you should, well, some things will, such as regressive laws that are inherently designed to keep you well, away yeah. from a poll, which is very common in Virginia. See the photo ID bill that you know the photo ID law that we have that's designed and targeted toward elder African-Americans especially. But when I look at this, I see, I see the idea here that if, you, um, if you're genuinely interested in this and, you know, and it's not because of an institutional barrier that you're being prohibited from voting, but if you're, choosing, if you're actively choosing not to vote or it's just you don't follow politics, you don't follow elections, whatever, then that means somewhere along the line the system isn't working the way it was designed to work. That's the fault of people, is it not? Right. Not the fault of the system. No, no, both. And this is why. The system goes all the way back into when you're in school, all from kindergarten through high school, basic civics, understanding the importance of why you vote in the first place and having that drilled into you, where imagine if you had the opportunity to meet not just John Lewis, but so many other people just like John Lewis who just doesn't have his story, you know, or his level of fame. Well, I think that but, goes back to No Child Left Behind. I, I think we can go back for that. Yeah, we can go back for and we can. But No Child Left Behind, that's when my kids were coming up, mm-hmm. that ended up being every child left behind because you were teaching for a test rather than tre- teaching critical thinking or pe- okay. teaching people how to think. Well, just the idea of civic responsibility. And civic, res- yeah, I mean, there used to be a civic, I, when I grew up, there was a civics books and civics course, it became social studies later. And, but it was the idea of civics and being that you had to vote and register and this is what you do and that's how you did. And all of that was figured into you, you the education process. You almost want to be like, that it's just, 
it, it's almost like a conditioning for being, you know, American, which is it's just a thing that you do the same way that you make breakfast in the morning or, you know, you file your taxes. So you, when you, know, you hear President Trump say, mm -hmm. make America great again, when, does so, that does that mean? Define the again. When was it? I, when, when, I'm when not, is the time I, period? I'm, I'm not, not defending it. I'm, I'm not, just saying, do you understand why yeah. some people voted, why he attracted millions well, you know, of voters? When I think, well, the answer is yes, I do understand that. Because that's my, right. my argument is that a lot of Democrats don't. They still don't get why he was elected. Like, and know, there are too many at the national level who go, look, vote for me, I'm not him. I come from a Republican family, I'm very well aware. Of yeah, I, I know you are. I know. So, like... The, the, the thing is, like, what um, I think one of the things that, like, Mayor Pete brought up was the idea that, like, you can't be forward thinking and you can't be inherently, you know, trying to, you know, improve things for the future by having the word again as part of that clause. It doesn't work because then at that point, you're inherently saying, let's go back to where we were. Agreed. As opposed to, let's get to someplace new. And that sounds like a grammar teacher to me. <laughs> oh my God, like she has a journalism degree. <laughs> yes. I When I heard that, I was like, uh-oh, there, there's a copy editor somewhere. <laughs> oh, I actually ran into Vince at Pride, by the way. You did? Yeah, yeah, he caught me. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, oh, and by the way, since we are since we are on air, um, yes. your, uh, your folks here won't get to see the side of my shoe, but I'm going to yell loud. She's she's leaving the room to get a shoe. To get a shoe. She's not paying table six. So right. at Capital Pride this weekend, um, I got invited to ride on uh, the motorcycles at the very front of the parade. <laughs> uh, and so did now, you bring a guitar? I get. I wish I did. I get to now Metalhead. say that. Oh, my, nice. The side of my shoe has melted. melted into itself as I was holding onto the back of a lesbian motorcycle rider at the front of the Capitol Pride Parade, screaming and yelling at people on the sides while my shoe melted into oblivion because the bike was... Irritating. I just like the, I like the term lesbian motorcycle rider. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's They're great. called the Outriders Women's Motorcycle Club. They're amazing, awesome, incredibly kind people. And uh, Sarah Massey, thank you so much because that was so fun. I had a blast. And I don't know how many other politicians in America get to have that story. <laughs> I, I wonder if, if the, Lindsey Graham has I'm, ever ridden with a lesbian motorcycle gang. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get to say that he was the leader of the pack? <laughs> I knew this would be fun. Oh. <laughs> hey now, it's, it's a tough room. Look, all right, I, I, I got to do my John Stewart. My impersonation of John Stewart impersonating Lindsey Graham. You go. Oh, Lindsey, <laughs> just like, and you um, know they lie to you, just like all the other men in your life. That's pretty good. <laughs> Someone just get him some sweet tea, some sugar, and a whole bottle of hate. Just oh yeah, just I'm doing it. Ooh, mm mm mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I, I can't wait for that headline too. Just the transgender lawmaker makes lesbian joke about Lindsey Graham. <laughs> that that'll be the promo for this this episode. <laughs> transgender lawmaker makes lesbian joke about Lindsey Graham. Tune in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're getting somewhere. 
the hell with that? Let's finally. talk shit. <laughs> we finally were at. Right. <laughs> we're finally we're and we haven't even been drinking. <laughs> and that's the thing I don't. I, I well, you know, I I don't much either. I I I make noise because you know I I was born and raised in bourbon country, but mm-hmm. you know I. I I, I've seen too many people ruin sniff, their lives. And those sniffles were from actually being snick. Yeah, that's a snick. Snick, yeah, <laughs> snickers, yeah. <laughs> I just I prefer to take my snickers. To get <laughs> I don't, I don't snort Adderall if that's what you're saying. <laughs> no, they were peppermint patties. Is that what they were? Oh, it was a junior mint, wasn't it? Check. Was it an Altoid? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Grind up a few Altoids. We're good. I actually knew someone in high school who did that. Snorted Altoids? At a McDonald's next to Paul's Six Catholic High Oh, my God. Well, you know, I, I take BC powder. The inter- and I like... have been caught with BC powder, mm-hmm. and people thought it was cocaine. Hmm. And I'm going, it's, no, it's acid. I had a cop pull me over when I was uh, 17 years old, 16 or 17. Uh, I was on Ashton Avenue in Manassas. I had, I was going 39 down to 35, but I had passed him and the cop, and, the, and, the, and he was in the right line, I was in the left. So he pulls me over, goes, you know how fast you were going? It's like 39. And he goes, like, what was the speed? 35. And he's like, you know it's not smart to pass a marked cop car? And you're like, well, I do now. And he goes, well, what's that? <laughs> and he points into my dash. And I was like, what's what? And he's like, do you know how old you need to be to possess tobacco in the state of Virginia? I'm like, what? What? And I'm now, like, my mind is racing of, like, did one of my best friends, like, leave cigarettes in the car or something? Like, oh, my God. Like, I, I hate cigarettes. I've never smoked in my life. Like, which was, why, why would this ever happen? And so now I'm freaking out. I was like, where? Where? And he's like, there. There. I was like, can I step out of the car and you please, please show me where it is that you're talking about? Because I do not know what you're pointing at. And so he's like, what's that? I was like, that serves a crumpled up leaf. <laughs> It's like, yes, I'm a mess of a human being, but I am not. <laughs> but I'm not a smoker. That's right. I may be a lot of things, but I'm not a smoker. Well, who is the comedian who did that line where they're just like, look, I may be a lot of things. I may be a thief, a liar, a cheat, a steal, or was it? But I, oh, oh, it's Will Ferrell doing the um, uh, uh, old prospector. Yeah. If you ever saw that one, yes. where it's like they had old prospector in Afghanistan. <laughs> it was like, but I never been. <laughs> you can say it. I've been never called. He's like, I've been called dumb. I've been called lazy. It's like cat eyed, you know, whatever else he is. But I've been never been called dumb. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, hey, there's something new every day. So I let's know. talk about rock and roll music. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. I know. You've played. No more Black Sabbath. No more Black Sabbath. Oh. You're, you're a Black Sabbath fan. Well, I have been since I was a teenager. My first concert was Ausfest 99 uh, over in Bristol no. with Black Sabbath headlining. No <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, first band I ever saw was Fear Factory blowing it up on the side stage, telling people to flip and over you... cop cars in the parking lot. <laughs> like, I'm 14. I'm like, oh. I've got I'm a 14-year-old freshman in Catholic school. Like listening to that, and like I've I've been sheltered at this point in my life. I'm just, <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> I remember going to a Pink Floyd concert, mm-hmm. and I got not just Roger Waters. No, no, Pink mm-hmm. Floyd with, and it was Animals tour, and so they had the big animal, oh, the pig, the, the pig yeah, that yeah, comes yeah. up out of the yeah. of the stage, and um, it was like in seventh grade, you know, and I'm at this <laughs> it's stamp thing, and I got a contact, but I, you know, I was a good Catholic boy. I didn't know what weed was then, found out later. <laughs> but I didn't know then. <laughs> and uh, I got a contact buzz. And when that pink pig rose up out of the stage, I was like, 
Uh, I'm freaking. Oh my god. <laughs> that was my introduction to rock and roll. I remember concerts. so my first my first concert. I remember being on the lawn at what is now Jeff Lee Live was Nissan Pavilion, and this guy just you know just like start a conversation. And the guy next to me, super cool, nice guy. Obviously been to some shows before, and his friend sitting next to him was tweaking, bad. He was just like, oh. and I was just like, what's what's going on with him? And he was just like, oh, he was just smoking somewhere. Early. I was just like, uh, you, you, you sure he was just smoking? Just smoking? Yeah. You sure went a little something? I like a little like, uh, hearing him twenty years later being like, I'm pretty sure there was PCP involved. Yeah, like, oh, there probably God. was. Yeah, yeah, probably. It was just like that was part of that exposure of rock and roll where you're in it for the music, but you you see a lot of things along the way. And as Jason Newsett from Metallica put it, after they had toured with Guns N' Roses, you learn about what not to do. I learned a lot before I got into bands about how not to be in a band from right. observing both fans and bands alike and seeing you know, what is reckless, stupid, or just plain idiotic versus what is, what is successful and what keeps you having a good time. I've seen, I, I've been to... Do you still play? No, not... You play guitar, Lee. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, like, well, I just I just did when I got into your house here. Yeah, <laughs> you did. I I find for no, me, I, I'm a I'm a rhythm player. I don't do. Yeah, you, you're. I, I thought you were Lee. Well, no, what was well, no? That, think of that Dire Straits lyric, like you know, yeah, the rhythm. You know, it doesn't make it cry or sing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Band is blowing Dixie double four times. Do you do? Yeah, that great song. Sultans of swing. Yeah. Do 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 do. A good rhythm man. A good rhythm section. You got a good rhythm guitar player. Good bass and drums. If they're locked in. Oh yeah, especially if it's a rocking bar. Oh yeah. And by the way, and whether you're Paul McCartney or you're Cliff Burton from Metallica. Rickenbacker rules. There you go. Yeah, that's my endorsement for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I find it keeps you know I you know I still play in a band and it keeps yeah. me sane. Oh yeah, I miss it every day. Um, but here's the funny thing. I love music. After after I got elected, I started having all these like heavy metal musicians reaching out to me. So my first reaction is, well, where the hell were you during the campaign? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, Damn it! I'm like, I guess I'm cool play. now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Well, you got to come out and play with us some night. Anytime you want, you know that. So I mean, so I would. I uh, the issue that I have is that when I stop, like, so the last show my band played was a, a month after I won my primary in 2017. We played one more show, and then that was it. The problem is, like, for the style of music that I do for extreme metal, you have to do vocal maintenance half hour a day, seven days a week, every day. If you skip on that. You will blow out your throat. It will. It oh, is not like so. We limit. Yes, I, I'll have you. We'll, we'll do AC. We do ACDC. ACDC. I know. I would love to sing ACDC. Yeah, like ACDC. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Totally. Um, we do two we, ACDC. So we used to do. We, do, we did my, TNT. In college, like my college band oh, did TNT. That's so, a good one. Like, I can definitely do that. And we do. Uh, but what do we do? <laughs> uh, long way my, to the top. If you want to. Uh, always a favorite. That's, always favorite. Yeah. Long way to the top. And my mom's favorite is actually um, Thunderstruck. Which in college I have was a different you. favorite <laughs> yeah. because of the thunderstruck. I am. I'm in. Yeah. The, we, well, we can yeah. describe that. But <laughs> when I, I thought of the thunderstruck game, but I was in Montoursville, Pennsylvania, recently <laughs> for President Trump's arrival there in his rally. And guess what song they played as the plane rolled up? Thunderstruck. I can't imagine they signed off on that. I. They well, I got news for you. A lot of the artists have not signed off on no, that, and Trump they, doesn't care. He still right. plays. I, I I call the the set list that he plays the set list of 
songs that artists don't want him to play. Right, <laughs> but right. He's, he doesn't care. He still plays. How them. many other copyright infringements with this? I mean, hell, I had a video. You know the scary part about yeah. it is listening to his. I love his set list. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and well, some of them are songs that we but, play right, in like, our band. Think of the Rolling Stones song that he's yeah. done, right? I yeah. mean, so like you There's, know, you haven't lived. I'm telling you, you yeah. haven't lived till you've been to a Donald Trump rally and heard them play "Sympathy for the Devil" as Trump walks up on stage. Now that's something I I I, I will please allow me to introduce, introduce myself. myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Well, that's you. <laughs> been around for a long, long years. Oh, well, I know you're yeah. pretty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Related. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I was talking to someone in the White House today, and they said, "Well, you're kind of old school too." And I'm like, "Ooh." Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, what else? Are, I mean, well, you're just like guilty as charged at that point. Yeah, you are. You're like that. That's, you, that's you got everybody gets older. I just don't want to be an old fart. Well, George Carlin said we had to stop saying older. He was like, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, that's... he's like older. It almost seems like it'll last long. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't. Oh, <laughs> he should have. <laughs> this is completely random. I was listening to this bit from uh, Dana Carvey the other day, where he talked about how, as a waiter, he had waited on both Richard Pryor and George Carlin at the same time. I can't even repeat to you the Richard uh, Pryor one. You'll have to listen to that one for yourself. Oh my God, that okay. must have been hilarious. It is off the walls hilarious. But the other one was he goes with George Carlin and he nails the voice perfectly. He's like, "So George Carlin orders oatmeal, and as I bring it over to him, he just looks up and he was like, oatmeal." Drop the O and it's at me hole. <laughs> it's God. so bad. That's Carlin. Perfect Carlin. And that's how you know he wasn't making it up. Yeah. It was so on point. And does he do a good Richard Pryor? Uh, oh, because I, I, a good Richard Pryor, I appreciate. Does the, the, yeah, nothing the, to do with it. <laughs> it just, the simple answer is just yes, but I I, I, I literally can't repeat a single. One well, no, a lot of Richard Pryor you couldn't. Re but you know the thing about Richard Pryor that was funny. I, I saw him live on Saturday Night Live, and he did his uh, hobo in the wino bit, which in his movie, uh, I'm sorry, in his album, and mm -hmm. and I can't even say the that n words crazy. Oh, I can't Jesus. even say the word. Um, he he did this and was very. Um, very blue. But when he did it on stage, it was just as funny when he did it on Saturday Night Live and he took out all the curse words. And it was still See, that, that's, funny. Um, one, of the, one of the things I learned about heavy metal a long time ago was if you can write a song without having to rely on cussing, then that means that you've actually had to put in a lot of thought as opposed to just, you know, just instead of just taking the simplest, easiest way out, you're coming up with creative ways to express anger, frustration, or whatever it is. Well, yeah, you know, and a lot of comedians, and I think Jerry Seinfeld said it, that, <clears throat> you know, the clean humor is the better humor. I think it's... It depends who it is. It depends, and I think, it, I now that I agree with, right. because Richard Pryor came, he went through all of that. Right. That was his life. Right. And the fact that you could take the curse words out and it was still funny, that tells you he could write. But there are a lot, there are a lot of comics who just rely on the language of cursing in order to get a laugh, and that isn't, well, to me, very funny. You cannot have had George Carlin in the Seven Dirty Words if you didn't say the Seven Dirty Words. Oh well, that's true. Right, and it was, and it was so groundbreaking and barrier breaking at the time. <laughs> I don't think you can say some of those words today. <laughs> I think we've gone backwards. We've regressed. <laughs> so I mean, like in that regard, just to kind of bring it full circle here, just talking about music and you know comedy and just that performing arts in general. There, if I can tie it all back to politics, Please there do. is a lot that you learn. From being in a band, 
from performing live, from having to promote a band that is directly transferable to running for office and being in office. And the first part of it is word of mouth. If people don't like your band, if people don't like your sound, if they don't like what you, who you are, and most importantly, if they don't like you, you're not going to get very far, and they will talk, and they will talk amongst themselves, and that'll be the first thing. But if word of mouth matters, I hear someone just yesterday during the primary said to me, or dropped me a line saying, you know, Danica, I didn't know, um, I was kind of ashamed I didn't know one of the, you know, some of the candidates going in when I voted. I only voted because my son asked me to the day of, but I remembered one of their names, and then I remembered it was because you had posted about her online. And I was like, well, if Danica supports her, I guess she's okay. And so that's word of mouth just in and of itself, right? And that's taking your, um, you know, your your position and actually doing something uh, productive <clears throat> with it. And at the same time, work ethic is the next part about it. If you think that people are going to, you know, attend your concert just because you posted something on Facebook about it. But hey, we're the, out there, man. I'm at the event. How come you didn't go to my show? Did you call anyone? No. Did you fly her? Did you talk to anyone about it? No. Yeah. Right. Well, same thing in political fundraisers. Nothing's different with that. How are you going to get anyone else unless you call them? You have to, but I had my Facebook event. Do you think someone's yeah. going to donate $5,000 to your campaign because they saw it on Facebook? <laughs> you know, it's just like that work ethic also, though, of being in a DIY band and doing it yourself and constantly hustling, you don't mind the hours that you put in into running for office and then being in office and doing the work yourself and responding to constituent calls and responding to emails or doing whatever it is yourself. You know, my staff certainly does a lot with that. And at the same time, I'm not afraid to, you know, to, to touch any of that because you've, you've never been afraid. To, for, no. I, I, one of the things I'll say I, that I enjoyed uh, working with you was that you were, you you have a great work ethic. You really do, and I I appreciated every moment we worked together. You might have smelled horrible. It's news, dear. It's news. You didn't show up on time. You're <laughs> last in, first out. <laughs> no, that but, wasn't you. No, but but no, it's, oh, I'm just making fun of myself. I know you but, are, but um, that's not you. No, no, but the but the idea though was uh, in every line of work I've ever had, and this is completely true. I, for every mistake, F up, or whatever else I've ever done, my ethics have always been sterling. I've always had perfect five out of five star ratings on for, ethic, for ethics. And that's, it was warranted. Like, you know, if I could just promote myself for a moment, because, well, I've been in a band, I'm used to doing it. You know, it's just like. Do you find it, I want to close with, because yeah. we've been going on for that, and we could do this for oh, another well, hour. Yeah, we could. <clears throat> but do you find. Some people, I, I, I find they get a little, their, their sphincters contract just a little bit. When you say, hey, you know, besides government or besides yep. reporting, I enjoy music. I play yep. in a band. And that freaks people so out So this sometimes. is actually true. Um, when I was being recruited in 2017 by Delegate Rip Sullivan, who's the recruiting chair for the house down, we, uh, I meet up with him over in his office. And we had talked just like this for like an hour or so. And so um, at the end of it, I said, all right, Rip, tell me my strengths and weaknesses. Well, I know. And he was like, well, your public policy knowledge is off the charts. Your energy is off the charts. You talk too much. I was like, well, I'm a Sicilian woman. What do you expect? <laughs> and, then, and he goes, and he's like, and frankly, I'm more, he's like, I'm more concerned about you being a heavy metal band than you being transgender. Are you kidding me? Absolutely true. And I actually told that That's story. That's a great story. Yeah. 
yeah. And so you wait till an hour into this to tell me that story. I'm um, you buried the lead. <laughs> <laughs> you buried the question. Now let's. That's true. That's, ooh, so, we both ooh, fail. Ooh, 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 epic fail. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> but I like one, the one, one, of my, one of my things. Like I enjoy doing on the like when I'm not listening to music. If I'm gonna like take in some like entertainment, I listen to comedy a lot. Like that's really um well, you, I, i've been watching the daily show since i was in middle school and that's and i'll tell you like there was a who's lot who's your favorite comedian oh uh, living or dead of all time of oh, dead george carlin always um but for living i mean like john stewart was so instrumental for me but i'll tell you there's a new comic who I, uh, there's some newer comics who i really like uh dina hashem she's really she's deadpan funny so she's really quiet like this and then she will stephen wright she reminds me of stephen wright she does very much so I, I, me, Richard Pryor, and George Carlin are the top two. Yeah. Although you and I have an agreement about George Carlin. He was wrong on one thing, which is voting. Yes. He was funny in the way that he presented it, but he was wrong. Yeah. I, I, and you can tell that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like his line on that, uh, uh, I'm going to try to, uh, you don't have to I, do it in George yeah, Carlin yeah, yeah. voice. There's one part of it that I can't tell at the end. It's a punchline, which is really funny. Because all we'll just say that after that in '96, he's like, and so while you guys are all, uh, you know, uh, voting or whatever, I will be at home, and you can fill in the blank, and I'll have had just as much fun, you know. And like he, he was really, he really genuinely believed that like politics was based on garbage in, garbage out, and he said. That it was uh, his problem. He was like, "Well, you know, I don't complain about politicians themselves. You know why? Because you know they all come, from, you know, they come from the same, you know, churches, the same schools, the same, you know, every walk of life that anyone else does." And so he had an issue with the public for producing politicians. I have a different point of view on that, which is on that, which is that if you have people who actually do work in good faith and who come from backgrounds where you're not used. To having everything set to you on a silver spoon, and you really genuinely don't care about making a ton of personal finance money, you just want to do the right thing. My job pays seventeen thousand six hundred forty dollars, you know, and it's just like, but you which just, it, and don't forget that is a raise for you because no, 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 it's not. Was no, it, that's you not, went to, no, that's right to work. No, instead in Virginia, um, legislators take care of themselves in other fun ways, like the, you know. Raising the per diem from two hundred three dollars a day in session to two hundred thirteen dollars a day. Isn't that convenient? Yeah, how nice that is. You know, right, right. Yeah, there's, there's, there's little things that you know, legislature does where you're just like, right. And I've got amazing health care now. Well, I was uninsured for two and a half years before I got elected, and so instead of me saying, oh, I've got great health care, how come you don't? I say, I have great health care. Wait a minute, how come none of my, how come my constituents don't have just as quality health care as as I do? There's not a single person I represent who should be any bit underinsured compared to me they should have, this would be the baseline my my health insurance should be the baseline of where we are in society and so <clears throat> i think you know what the last question is going to be what is the question i always the last I, and i love asking this question of everyone i ever interviewed for a job do you remember can we start monday <laughs> <laughs> what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen um, swallow african european there you go you got it that's <laughs> just like the, just like the other <laughs> yeah yep yep and i always i liked asking that question just to, i had people that would go i i can google that <laughs> <laughs> i'd have others go i is, is this good you also asked me um uh, uh who was the best member of the beatles yeah um, right and you made the case for john lennon i had made the case for paul mccartney 
Yeah. Um, I thought. Or, no, 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 no. I said John was the better lyricist. Paul was the better musician. I can still stand by that. I think he was the better musician. I think John was the better lyricist and the better. I, I think John was. I think Paul had, was more multifaceted. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think John is the for the Beatles was my favorite because of his attitude. That's <laughs> more than I anything else. He, he, he was a rock up, and roll. Yeah, he summed up the Beatles very yeah, well. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, what are you going to do? Say Ringo? Yeah, well, I like Ringo. He's still around, you know? He is. And if he. he underrated, underrated drummer, I thought. And I and George was a great guitar mm-hmm. player. Well, uh, as, and that's as one as thing. Gu- <clears throat> only as your guitar gently weeps, though. Yeah, uh, well, that's Eric Clapton. Right. Who played the lead on that? Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. Eric Clapton played the lead on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But I'll say this, it's been my experience playing in a band. When we go out to play, I can play the Stones any way I want. People are fine with it. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, the Stones. Right, right, right. You play the Beatles, by God, you better have them right. People get hot. <laughs> That's not the note that he played on that particular <laughs> point. People get really... Where were the harmonies? You are missing the keyboards. Can I get a musician here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, what's the one thing? All right, I'll close yeah, with this yeah. one. Or will we? Yeah, or will we? What's the one thing that you'd like to do that you haven't done? Um, I'm going to give you a few, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the question. Number one, I would like to complete a yoga teacher training program. Um, I'd like to get a, like a 500-hour credential so that I can safely and confidently actually teach yoga, especially I want to go into uh, like youth homeless area, um, like just homeless areas and just teach kids for free because it's so powerful and good. And that's one thing that I would love to, love to, love to do. Another one is I would like to be able to learn how to do stand up without having to, like when I just have a mic and I'm talking to another person, I can be witty. I can have like great chemistry and just go back and forth. I want to be able to just do that at the mic. And I do this in my stump speeches a lot, but I want to be able to do it so that I can stay funny for a full 45-minute set for, you know, just every other You line. and I have talked about it. Right. Because <clears throat> I've done that. And it's, well, I know. Yeah. I think that's the toughest it, thing on the... You I, have to prepare and write so much, whereas uh, where I thrive is is riffing with people. I like, you know, like... Well, riffing is part of it, but it's the stage presence. And here's mm-hmm. the thing. And you know this as a musician. I may lose you on a song. I could lose the audience. Right. They don't but like if you lose you on a joke... Um, it's hard to right. get the audience back. That's right. Yep. It's and only the best can. <laughs> hey, we were friends a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. So what? I can it? get you back on the next song so, as a musician. Uh, I gave a speech the other day um, in front of the Nuclear Commission, um, actually over in Rockville, and I was I told one joke and it just it fell flat, and I was just like, wow, tough room, you know. And like it, that made the that like, brought him back. back. Right. Yeah. Right. It was a little thing like that. Um, of just that self-awareness, break the fourth wall sort of thing, where I was making uh, the crowd laugh a lot throughout it, but... You tried to make them laugh and couldn't. I know, right, right, <laughs> but I had this one line where, you know, it just bombed, and for some, somehow, I managed to work in talks about yoga and cannibalism during my, my speech, which is really remarkable, not all entirely based on my own self Autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mean you, you, you I gave mean, up yoga, but not cannibalism? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you, you gotta have yeah. girls got prioritized. Okay, <laughs> <Check>. <laughs> so I'm um, like, I was talking about like 
like first time practicing Bikram, it's for an hour and a half in 105 degree, uh, you know, a studio, and it's the first time outside of a LGBT club or even like some industrial clubs maybe that I was presenting as female, um, you know, and it's like in a not inherently LGBT uh, environment, and so. It was in 2013, it was before I started HRT, and I'm like super nervous and just like this little skinny 133 pound twink in the back, like just <laughs> tiny shorts and just, I mean, I'm just like all nervous. And I get in, I'm like the last person in, and the yoga teacher's like, oh, hi, what's your name? I'm like, Danica, oh, please God, to no one here know me. Oh, jeez, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, I was just like, I was just, a, I was messed like, oh, okay, great, well, let's begin. And so as we're getting into a lot of the floor postures, my art just like leaning over and like you know you bring your head toward your right. knee. my hair i didn't braid it and so my hair is just wildly going into my face and i'm just, which she degrees, just did which i just did and she so wasn't I, actually putting her hand over like, her mouth it was her hair and i was like i was eating my hair and i was just like i imagine in your 101 intro to cannibals in class they tell you you don't Keep the scalp on. <laughs> just like I ate more hair than the first dinner, or like than the first time Campbell did. But just like it was constant for that class. Next class, I braided my hair, and it was the best class. It was awesome, it was amazing. And so that was the thing I learned: braid your hair, otherwise you will eat it. On on that note, <laughs> on that note, because we always end on a high note. And we always end on a high note. This November, you're running for re-election. November 5th. Yep. Thank you for coming. And I'll tell you publicly here, and I've said it before, it was a joy working with you, and I wish you the best of success. Well, it was a joy working uh, for and with you, and I learned a lot of my infrastructure platform, uh, especially dealing with structurally deficient bridges, uh, came from our investigations that we worked on together. Oh, yeah. And my passion for water infrastructure directly stems from our work at Sentinel. So... God I, bless. I, I owe that to you. Well, God bless you. <laughs> Kate, having to make compliments. <laughs> hey, you ought to talk to my wife. Hey, I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks, Danica. This show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us, and catch you next time. <laughs>